I'm going to go ahead and just jump right in uh, to the Word, and then we'll go from there. So if you have your Bibles, uh, you can turn to Psalm 115. If not, it will be up on the screen uh, behind me. We're going to go ahead and read this whole chapter. Um, it's 18 verses, uh, so don't freak out too bad. Uh, but we're going to go through this, and then we'll, we'll move on from there. <clears throat> Psalm 115. Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory for the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness. Why should the nation say, where is their God? Our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths but do not speak, eyes but do not see. They have ears but do not hear, noses but do not smell. They have hands but do not feel, feet but do not walk, and they do not make a sound in their throat. Those who make them become like them, so do all who trust in them. O Israel, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. O house of Aaron, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. You who fear the Lord, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. The Lord has remembered us. He will bless us. He will bless the house of Israel. He will bless the house of Aaron. He will bless those who fear the Lord, both the small and the great. May the Lord give you increase, you and your children. May you be blessed by the Lord who made heaven and earth. The heavens are the Lord's heavens, but the earth he has given to the children of man. The dead do not praise the Lord, nor do any who go down into silence. But we will bless the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Praise the Lord. Now, to give you some background on what we just read, um, Psalm 115 is part of what is known as the Egyptian Hillel. Uh, this is Psalm 113 through 118, uh, give or take a few verses depending on who uh, is talking. But 113 to 118 in Psalms, it's called the Egyptian Hallel. Uh, some of you know the word hallelujah um, is broken up into two words. Hallel, which means praise, and Yah at the end, which is short for Yahweh, meaning the Lord. So the word hallelujah literally means to praise the Lord, to praise Yahweh. Um, and so the Egyptian Hillel is a praise that remembers Passover. It remembers the time where the Israelites were brought out of captivity, brought out of slavery, uh, and crossed the Red Sea uh, out of Pharaoh's hands. And so this part of Psalms 113 to 118 and 115 that we just read is part of that praise. This is repeated uh, at Passover throughout uh, history, even today, people will still respond. Uh, recite 113 through 118. And so that's the context of what we just read. It is this praise remembering what God has done. Uh, likely the writer here when he wrote this praise is talking specifically about military attack. Um, there's an emphasis in this on trust. There's repetition. There's talk about trusting God and it says that he remembers. It says that God remembers his people Israel. He remembers the house of Israel. He remembers the sons of Aaron. He remembers those. That doesn't just mean he mentally remembers them. That means he remembers and he acts on behalf of them. So this praise is a recall of what God has done and saying that God is still acting for us the way that he did back then. Now, I'm, I'm setting a stage for you here, but this, this is imperative for us today. Now, all of this culminates, all of this 
comes to a head in verse 16 when he says this, The heavens are the Lord's heavens, but the earth he has given to the children of man. He says that God remembers, God has worked on our behalf, God has created us, God is in the heavens, he does as he pleases, but the earth he has given to the children of man. The earth he has given to us. That means there's an ownership and a responsibility on our behalf for the earth. That's what the psalmist is saying when he's remembering and recalling all this. And my question is, do we take that seriously? Do we take that ownership, that responsibility on earth seriously? Because the whole psalm is about praise. And in order to praise, we have to know what we're praising. We have to teach people how to praise God. We have to teach, and all of that is earthly. Praise and teaching how to praise is our earthly responsibility. And so we have this responsibility, we have this ownership on earth to take part. Now, I realize this this is Psalms. This is Old Testament. He says specifically the house of Israel, the sons of Aaron. So can we take this and say that today we have that ownership, we have that responsibility? Well, yes, because in Matthew 28, 19 through 20, the Great Commission, he says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and I will be with you to the ends of the earth. That's the Great Commission. That's New Testament. That's what Jesus tells the disciples as he is about to ascend to heaven. And then later, Paul says in Galatians that there is no longer Jew or Greek, slave or free, male or female, that we are all one in Christ. So we can take this saying, O house of Israel, and we can say through Christ, he's given us a mission, the same mission, a responsibility on the earth. And through Christ, we are made into the house of Israel because those barriers have been blocked down. So yes, we can apply this directly to us and say that we have a responsibility. We have an ownership here on earth that Christ has sent us out to do. Now, this is important, and if anybody has ever heard me speak or talk, uh, one thing that really, really excites me is the kingdom of heaven talking about the kingdom of heaven being brought to earth. Uh, Jesus says this throughout his ministry over and over and over again. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's not yet, but it's here already. And the kingdom of heaven is the place where heaven meets the earth, and what is going on in heaven overlaps our natural sphere and takes place here on earth. And that is the responsibility that he gives us, is to bring that kingdom here. So that's the responsibility that we have. And that is the place that he has set us in here on earth. So how do we take part in that? How do we we move to a place of walking in kingdom of earth? And I realize I'm all over here right now, and it's going to come together, I promise. We have ownership, we have a place. How do we move into that place of ownership from a place of complacency? I was talking yesterday at prayer service. We came in yesterday morning, and I shared um, something that God, I just felt, was impressing on me as I was sitting here praying 
was that he is ready to rip off the complacency of the church. That we have come to a place where we are just settling. Where we've, we've kind of hit this brick wall and we're sitting here and we're not taking initiative. We're not moving forward anywhere. And he wants to rip off that complacency. So how do we move out of complacency into the calling that God has for us? Well, I think first we have to question in order to learn. Now, as a youth pastor, um, I learned very quickly that teenagers like to question everything. And you guys are parents, you know. Children in general like to question everything. We went on a trip two weeks ago to Atlanta, and it was like every five minutes I was getting the question, why? When we told them where we were staying, the hotel, well, why are we staying at this hotel? Why didn't we stay at one a little bit closer so we didn't have to drive? Why did we stay here when we could have stayed there? Why did you move the rooms this way? Why are we going there to eat? I don't like that place. Why didn't we leave earlier? We could have gotten there and ate before they closed. Why, why did we get here two hours early to stand in line? It's hot. Why didn't we get here earlier? We don't have good seats now. Why do you have these rules this way? Like we would ever do that. Why would you even write that down on the rule sheet? I got blistered the entire trip. Where I was like, good grief, would you shut up? <laughs> and so teenagers, they don't take anything at its word. They don't take anything at its word. They have to know the reason why. And I think that that is something that adults have lost. In some ways, we've gotten comfortable with what we know and what we believe and we've stopped asking the question, why? I think this is faith. I think we've grown in the church, and we've heard, and we know that God is for us, that he has died for our sins, that he wants to bless us. He, he has done all that, and so we are complacent in our faith because we know who God is. We're complacent in our politics because we know we don't need to question and learn anything else anymore. We're complacent in a lot of things as adults because we're older and wiser now. So we've taken a seat and stopped asking why, stopped questioning things, and stopped trying to learn things out of this almost haughtiness that we already know, that we've become wise. But I would say that when we stop asking why, we stop learning why. And I think that's, that's a place right now that why we are in such a complacent place is because we've stopped asking questions. And I think there's this notion uh, among older generation that, or almost this fear, that a critical mind, either politically or faith, whatever, a critical mind means political liberalism, which means immoralism, which means atheism, which means I don't have faith in God, so I've got to step away. That if we start questioning things, that we are then questioning who God is. We're questioning his word, and we just need to have faith in that. And so we stop asking questions. And I think there's this fear that holds us back from actually finding out more about God, or this fear of being wrong, or questioning something that we thought was true our whole life, and then coming to find out that that's not exactly true, and we don't want to face that, we don't want to accept that, so we just stop asking. And we sit in our ignorance or in our little bit of knowledge, 
and we, we settle. We stop there. But God has given us an inquisitive mind. God has created us to ask questions. God has created us to wonder and to think. And we were created to implore that inquisitiveness to draw us closer to God. The reason I say all this is not just so I can beat up the older generation or say, yeah, I think you guys are fearful. I've seen firsthand how this plays out. Uh, a couple of years ago, two years ago, I had an opportunity uh, to potentially study abroad at Oxford University in England. Um, it was a semester-long deal that I had <coughs> applied for um, and thought I had a pretty good chance of getting accepted at. Um, ended up not going, financial reasons, uh, other things, but decided I wasn't going to do that. But when I found out that there was an opportunity there, I shared it with some men. And when I was telling them, yeah, you know, this is pretty exciting. I might be able to go study at Oxford. That's awesome. Um, and one of them, you know, they were all like, well, that's great, you know. And one older man looked at me and said, well, whatever you do, don't let them change you. Don't let them change your faith. And I thought, Oxford? Like, you realize, like, John Wesley went here. C.S. Lewis went here. This is a strong religious place that God has created very strong minds to move within, and God has moved tremendously through Oxford and through people who have attended Oxford, and this is an awesome opportunity. And the thing that he had to say to me was not congratulations, it was don't let them change you. And I quickly began to realize that there was a fear that if I began to question things or to study the word or to listen to people with other perspectives, that I was going to neglect my faith that I was going to turn away from what I knew was true when other people started prompting me to ask deeper questions. And so <clears throat> I realized there's a fear of asking why of biblical criticism because we're afraid that it's going to negate our faith. So why theology? Why head knowledge? Why am I pushing right now to ask questions and to learn about theology, to, to acquire head knowledge. I want to read you a quote from a book um, by James R. Estep, and he says this, talking about the acquisition of head knowledge and studying theology and learning about God. He says this, Theology, defined as the study of the nature of God, that's what theology is, it's the study of the nature of God, is a prerequisite for developing a relationship with God. We cannot worship what we do not know and understand. In fact, the more we know about God and what he has done on our behalf, the more we are motivated and led to worship him for who he is and for his goodness to us. So the end of theology is not the acquisition of mere head knowledge. The goal, rather, is heart transformation. Our knowledge of God leads us to faith and repentance, motivates us to adore and worship him, and prompts us to serve him out of love and devotion. This is the heart of discipleship. And I want to point out specifically the last thing he says. He says, theology is a prerequisite that head knowledge, learning about God is a prerequisite for worshiping God. But he doesn't say that that's the end. That's, that's, that's the focus is to just gain more knowledge, to study and to learn and to acquire knowledge. He says that's not the point. He says we learn because our knowledge of God leads us to faith and repentance 
which is what Jesus is saying all along, believe and repent. It leads us to faith and repentance, motivates us to adore and worship Him, to praise Him, and it prompts us to serve Him out of love and devotion. It's the key to discipleship. Proverbs 15, 14 says this, The heart of him who has understanding seeks knowledge, but the mouths of fools feed on folly. Proverbs 18, 15 says, An intelligent heart acquires knowledge, and the ear of the wise seeks knowledge. And so this idea of being afraid of acquiring knowledge needs not be. We shouldn't be afraid because, as the author said here, it actually moves us closer to God. It makes our worship deeper with God. And nobody told me when I went to Bible school, when I went to college, and I started critically reading the Bible and learning, I had a lot of people had the same kind of sentiment as the old man who said, don't let it change you. Don't let it ruin your faith. Stand strong in your faith. Nobody told me, hey, the more you learn about God, the more you learn about the Bible, the more you question this and realize the history of it, the deeper in love you'll fall with God. No one told me that. It was complete opposite of the fear-mongering that people had placed in front of me. And so I think in the church, specifically in this church, I think that our negligence of theological thought has led us to become a church that is complacent in our discipleship. Because remember, we have a goal here on earth. We have an opportunity on earth. We have a responsibility and an ownership on earth. How in the world are we going to teach people how to follow God if we don't know God and we don't know His Word? And if we stop questioning His Word, we stop questioning and learning about Him, then automatically we are failing to disciple people. You can't teach people something you don't know. And so, out of fear of losing our own faith or a complacency, or feeling like we've already gotten there, we're missing out on our calling to disciple people. We're missing out on our mission. Now, what I'm not saying is that head knowledge is the key to everything. Please hear me out. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying that you need to study your word and then everything is going to be better. Thomas Aquinas was a philosopher and theologian uh, in the Middle Ages. And his most famous work is Summa Theologica. He is ridiculously smart and ridiculously heady, uh, and he writes out all these different things. His works have influenced a ton of religious backgrounds. Uh, the Roman Catholic Church, specifically, it still uses some of his work as dogma. Um, and so Thomas Aquinas was up there. He was a student and a follower of Aristotle, the philosopher. Aristotle um, had this philosophy of teleology. Teleology basically means that there's a point to all this. There's an ends, that our means are culminating to something that we're trying to reach. He didn't say what that was, but he says that we're trying to meet some kind of ends in what we do. Thomas Aquinas, the theologian, then comes in and follows that line of thought and says, yes, there is a point to everything that we're doing. And he says that teleological point is truth. That, that everything that we do here on earth, everything that we're trying to do is trying to figure out truth. And 
He says that truth comes, in Summa Theologica, when he's writing about this, he says that truth comes through the philosophical sciences. So he says natural knowledge, math, science, history, philosophy, all these things get us there, but that's not the ends. It also takes divine revelation, a separate science of God imparting wisdom to humans that grants us truth. That is the ends of everything that we do is to gain head knowledge and divine revelation so that we can find truth. That's the key to discipleship. We have to have the head knowledge to teach, but we can't just go teach people if we don't have the power of the Holy Spirit along with us. There are two parts to this, and we can't neglect one and seek the other. Whichever way we go, we can't, we can't operate only in the Holy Spirit and never pursue knowledge, never pursue learning God's Word, because then we're just seeking a tingly feeling. We're just seeking to raise our hands and worship and to feel that buzz and then leave. And we can't just look for head knowledge because then we're leaving out God. And you can't, you have to have both. Paul is a great example of this. He says that he was a Pharisee of all Pharisees, a Jew of all Jews. Remember, he was going around killing people for following Jesus. The reason Paul was killing people for following Jesus was because he was really freaking smart. He knew the law. He knew what God had said. He knew God's word. He had studied all of this stuff and realized that there was a Messiah to come, and he didn't believe that Jesus was him. So he had all the head knowledge, but it took the encounter on the way to Damascus where he was blinded and Holy Spirit came upon him when Ananias prayed for him that then culminated and he was able then to disciple people. He was able to start his mission traveling to different churches and discipling people. And so it took both. And if you don't believe that, read Romans. The guy was still smart after the Holy Spirit got a hold of him. He was still learning. It was like the light came on and all of this head knowledge that he had already had was then brought into a light when divine revelation fell upon him. And his specific goal in Acts 9, God tells Ananias, go pray for him because I have chosen him to be a light to the Gentiles and to the sons of the Jews. And so he says, specifically Gentiles. Gentiles didn't know the law. Gentiles didn't know Yahweh. They'd probably heard of him. Didn't know him. Didn't know how to follow. Most certainly didn't understand who Jesus was. So Paul then... Being the light to the Gentiles, if you're going to teach someone and disciple them, you need to know what you're talking about. So he's going to people who are completely ignorant, sharing the head knowledge that he had before the divine revelation, along with the power of the Holy Spirit, and then creating churches and spreading ministry from there. So if we are going to be a church that follows the Great Commission, if we're going to be a church that goes out and makes disciples of all nations, then we must be a church that rips off complacency and intentionally, intentionally engages in theological study and unwaveringly follows the unctions of the Holy Spirit. We have to do both. Now, studying doesn't mean just go home and read your Bible. That's excellent. That's great. We should start there. 
But studying is reading books, is asking people, is talking to people, is learning as much about this as we can, and then praising God out of that knowledge that he would reveal himself to us and that we may have the strength and the power to go and to preach the gospel to other people. That's, that's what this is about. That's our mission that Psalms 115 is talking about. What I find uh, extremely, extremely awesome is in Psalm 115, I told you that this was the Egyptian Hillel, that the, this was a praise, that this was remembering, and it's recited at Passover. Jesus was crucified at Passover. And it's extremely likely that as Jesus sat at his last supper with his disciples, that this Egyptian Hillel would have been recited. That they would have been recalling those things. The other time that this is repeated, that this Egyptian Hillel is practiced as a liturgy, is on the holiday of Pentecost. And so if you pull these two together, if you know anything about Passover, Pentecost, Passover, we said, was remembering what God had done, praising him for what he had done, pulling them out of Egypt, and Pentecost, as they are praising God for what he had done, as they are remembering what God had done, as they are worshiping because of their head knowledge, Holy Spirit fell upon them, and then they started the church that we are still living in today. It's a prime example of this Egyptian Hillel just gives us the picture of knowing who God is, recognizing what God has done, learning about him, prompt them to worship him for his goodness, which then led to Holy Spirit falling on them, divine revelation, and Peter giving the sermon of his life, and thousands of people being added to the church, a guy like Paul being redeemed, churches spreading all over the place, and us still following that same Christ today. So don't tell me that head knowledge is going to negate my faith. Don't be fearful and say, well, I don't know how to study the Bible. I don't, I don't know where to go from here. I'm not sure how to do that. Praise him for what you know. Praise him because you know what he's done before. Praise him for the time that he saved you from that. Praise him for the time that he redeemed your family from that. Praise him for the time that he got you out of that situation. The stuff that you know that you become complacent in, praise him for that. Let him reveal himself to you more and then move further into that study of who he is. I had heard my whole life growing up in church, there were few things uh, that, I, that I grasped that I just knew. Jesus died for my sins, and I needed to pray and read my Bible. 18, 19 years in the church, that's what I had pulled out. Jesus died for my sins, and because of that, I should try to be good, and I should read my word and pray. That's, that's what I knew. And so... When I decided that I was going to follow Christ for who he was, that's all that I knew. So you know what I did? I worshipped him for dying for my sins. I prayed and I read my Bible. Then I started to realize more of who he was. 
I said, wait a second, there's more to this. And I started studying deeper. And then I learned more. And I studied deeper. And I learned more. And I praised harder. And I started studying deeper. And I praised more. And I've fallen in love with who God is and the study of who God is. Because more and more that I learn about him, the more and more that I want to praise him. The more and more that I want to share him with other people. And I hope I'm not stepping on any toes in here. I know this isn't a hoorah, shout message. But there's some of us in this room who have been sitting in the same seat for years. We're hearing the same messages over and over. And we're still sitting in the same seats. We're not discipling anyone. We're not growing in our relationship with Christ. We're not moving anywhere. The only time that we're lifting our hands is not because we're worshiping God and remembering what he's done, but because the music sounds good. Because the band's hitting it just right. Because I've got the tingly feeling, so now I'm going to raise my hand and I'm going to cry a little bit, and then I'm going to leave and I'm going to come back Sunday and hope for that same feeling. What are you doing the rest of the week? Are you studying his word? Are you pouring in so that that feeling that you had grows deeper the next time? So that feeling that you had doesn't just give you goosebumps, but it gives you power to go out and disciple other people. There has to be a purpose in what we're doing. Because if we're just here to have goosebumps and to leave, then it's not worth our time. It's not worth it. I can get goosebumps listening to any song on the radio. Play someone who has a really good voice, and you'll get goosebumps just listening to them. Hannah likes to watch those America's Got Talent videos when they hit the gold buzzer and those people sing and you sit there and watch them and she'll be bawling crying and goosebumps rise all over you. You can do that at home watching YouTube on your phone. Don't get out of bed and come here just to get goosebumps. Study your word. Come here to worship the God who has saved you, to worship the God that has redeemed you, to worship the God who has brought you to here so that you can share that with other people. Pastor can't go to your house every single day and spoon feed you to get you up to do something. He can't. Now, can he be an aide? Can we be aides? Yes. Can you call and say, hey, I'm studying this. What does this mean? Can we go get coffee? Can you tell me about this? Hey, do you have any book recommendations that I can read? Absolutely. Pastor would, I think, flip his lid if somebody called him and asked him about that. Because that means you're doing something on your own. He can't, in 35 minutes every Sunday morning, 45 sometimes, he can't come up here and give you everything that you need to be discipled so that you will do something. You have to take initiative. You have to get up out of your seat and do something. And we've been far too complacent. We've been far too complacent. Ben, if you'll go ahead and come on up. My, my prayer in all of this is that we become a church that doesn't fear knowing God. I hear people say, you know, the, well, if you, if you can only worship God if you know Him, then you're not really worshiping God. No, we can never know all of God. His ways are not our ways. His, thought are not, his thoughts are not our thoughts. We can't know everything there is about God. He's too vast. He's too great. But we can learn a heck of a lot about him. 
And we can, there's so much there that we can continue to learn throughout our entire life. And so neglecting that because we don't want to worship God because we know Him doesn't make sense to me. I want to know God so I know what I'm worshiping, why I'm worshiping. I want when a teenager comes to me and says, hey, what in the world does this passage mean in the Bible? This looks like it contradicts himself. These two passages in the same book seem like they're saying two totally different things. What am I supposed to do with this? I don't want to look at them and say, just have faith. I don't want to look at them and say, oh, it's, it's inspired by God. You just need to believe and trust him. I want to be able to say, oh, well, this says this because in this context, this is what he was saying, and this is what he was saying, and look at how God put two things that look contradicting together to give us a fuller truth of who he is. That's what I want to be able to do. That's what I want us to be able to do. And if we're sitting in our chairs waiting for us, for pastor, to just spoon feed us and give us goosebumps, then we're never going to disciple anyone. You have to learn, and you have to praise, and you have to have that divine revelation along with it. Will you stand with me? Father, I just lift up this congregation right now. God, your word is like a double-edged sword. It cuts us. And sometimes it's not comfortable. Sometimes it doesn't feel good. Sometimes it makes us a little queasy. But God, I believe that all truth is your truth. And God, I believe that the Great Commission is so important that you would pry us out of our seats so that we would share your word with people. God, I pray that this message would come from a place of love. I pray that it settles on the hearts and the minds of this congregation. And God, it prompts us to something. That we stop sitting in our complacency, that we stop sitting at home, that we stop sitting in the pews and doing nothing. But God, that we start to have a passion for you. And out of that passion for you, we begin to see people the way you see people. We begin to see these kids the way you see these kids. And we have a desire to volunteer our time and our effort to share your word with them. God, I just believe that you're calling this church to wake up. God, I pray that we will begin to stand. That we'll begin to seek truth as St. Thomas Aquinas did years ago. And that that truth will prompt us further to you. I realize this message isn't... I'm not into preaching messages to get you up here in the altar. If you move, then that's fantastic. I believe God can touch you in this altar. I, I, I don't mean to negate anything that happens up here. But my goal is to teach and to preach isn't to give you goosebumps to make you come up here. My goal is to convict and to prompt. And so if you're saying, you know what, I need to get up and move. I need, I need to start doing something. Maybe you just need to repent for sitting and not doing anything. Then I invite you to come up here 
and do that. If you need to say, you know what, I don't know a whole lot, but I know that God saved me from this, and I know that God saved me from that, and I want to praise him for that, just as the people at Pentecost were praising God for what he had done through Jesus and Holy Spirit fell, come up here and praise, and maybe Holy Spirit will fall on you. I don't know your reason. I don't, I'm not going to pull you up here. I'm not going to, you know, push you. But as the band begins to play and begins to worship, I just want to close and say that if you need to move, then this is open for whatever reason. The altars are open, and we would love to pray with you.